Hello, everybody, and welcome to this first episode of Think Human Live on LinkedIn. Um, my name is Riaz Kanani. I am the founder of Radiate B2B and your host for this session. Um, before I tell you a little bit about um, myself, let me just tell you a few words about um, Radiate B2B, and then we can get the two panelists on board. Um, so Radiate B2B, um, we basically help companies sell to enterprise um, and figure out who is in market today um, and how you should be talking to them when you approach them. And then alongside that, we then make sure when you do talk to them, um, we are able to make sure they know who you are. A um, bit about myself, um, I've spent well over 20 years now in sales and marketing on both the tech side and the agency side. Um, I've been marketing director a fair few times. I've worked with a whole bunch of sales directors um, and all very different experiences, as have our two panelists. Um, before I bring them in, um, let me just do a couple of housekeeping items. Um, we have got comments on the right, which all being well, we're going to see. So do comment and give your reactions as we're talking. Um, we'll pick up questions um, either as we go through or at the end um, as, I, as I see them. Um, and um, the second item is we'll have a feedback survey um, at the end. Um, I will make sure, I think Sahana, who is on screen as well, uh, behind the scenes, will comment um, about the survey a bit later on. Do fill it out. It is, um, we're going to make a donation to Magic um, Breakfast for everyone who completes it. And they're a, a registered charity who um, basically will help um, kids who are facing um, food insecurity and help them make sure they are able to concentrate when they go to school um, and not be suffering through hunger. So, so make sure you fill that out when you see it. Um, with that all done, let me welcome in both speakers to the stage. Here's Andy and there's Andrew. Welcome both. Um, let me get you to introduce yourselves. Um, Andy, do you want to go first? Happy to do so. Yeah, good morning all. Um, delighted to be here. Right, Reyes, thank you for the invitation. Um, so as you can see, my name is Andy Champion. Um, I have around about 25 years of sales, sales leadership, um, typically in the tech world. Uh, I've made a bit of a, a niche for myself of working with US-based software vendors and helping them bring their propositions uh, across to Europe and figuring out how to go into all the different markets, all the different nuances that, uh, that we have. Um, I'm currently at High Spot, and our focus there is helping uh, sales leaders, marketing leaders ensure that their strategy is landing, so it's landed, so that their salespeople understand what to know, say, show, and do when they're in uh, selling situations. Brilliant. Thank you, Andy. And good news is we are absolutely seeing all the comments that are coming through, so thank you for those. Um, Andrew, over to yourself. Um, um, go ahead, introduce yourself. Thanks, Riaz. Good to be here. Hello, everyone. Um, my name's Andrew. We've got a naming issue here. Maybe I should have got Drew on the start. <laughs> a bit more simple. Um, quick brief, uh, brief background. Was a SaaS founder, um, CMO of a business that we launched in the UK, raised venture, and then um, really scaled into the US market. We sold that in 2019. Um, I then worked for the acquirer, which was optimizely um, over the course of a couple of years, buying a whole bunch of businesses. We were a roll-up back by, back by inside venture partners, and then left that um, recently to join Paddle as CMO. And Paddle's a complete, a complete payment infrastructure um, stack for growing SaaS companies. 
So serving the kind of persona that I was as that SaaS founder with a whole billing subscription tax compliance stack. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, yeah, it was a prerequisite to have the name Andrew um, to, to join. <laughs> Nothing to do with all your years and years of experience that the two of you have. Um, okay, so where I wanted to start, obviously today's session's all about um, sales and marketing alignment. Um, we both um, know, or we all know that the potential from getting sales and marketing working really well together is huge in terms of both revenue and performance pipeline. Um, I, my view is in the last couple of years, we've seen a lot of change, both on the sales side and on the marketing side. What's your perspective um, um, on the change in, the, in recent times? Andy, let's go to you first. Um, so I don't think I'll be surprised to anyone. and I, I, I'd be love to hear in the, the comments and feedback whether anyone, anyone disagrees. But, you know, certainly from a B2B perspective, and my comments will be focused to the B2B world, if you don't mind. That's my area of expertise. Uh, we've seen um, a, a, a really substantial increase in the complexity, not just of the sale, but, but also equally uh, for our buyers, right? If you think about the buying experience, um, for every complexity that we see as salespeople, as marketers, you know, our buyers are going through that as well. Um, and there's lots and lots of data on this, but you know, you go to Forrester, they did a, a B2B study back in 2021, so relatively recent. Um, and they're now seeing that 63% of purchases have more than four stakeholders involved. That's up from, uh, from 47% in 2017. Uh, and my experience and, and, and that uh, of borne out by other data that I see is that, you know, four would really be quite low. Uh, I know that, that we regularly see five, six, seven different stakeholders uh, across different functions with a different perspective. And they're all trying to figure out, um, you know, from the vendors that they see in quite a short compressed time period, well, what is the difference? Why is one competitor different from another? And, and that can be really tough in a world where many competitors kind of have a similar value proposition as a, as a, as a buyer. How do you cut through that noise? Uh, and the fact is typically that the most successful salespeople typically are those that can offer insight above and beyond the functionality of what it, whatever it is that they're selling. So look, in summary, the buying journey is more complex. That translate, uh, translates into uh, into the sales experience. And then you throw COVID into the mix, right? And just as we've started to learn some of the best practice of selling online and marketing you know, increasingly in a remote world like this, we're having to relearn new behaviors as we go into a hybrid world. And that, I think, is going to be very interesting for us as leaders. And it's going to be really interesting in how we bring our people with them in whatever role that they have. Yeah. Andrew? Yeah, so I would agree with, with all of that and add also a bit of a different perspective on one point. So firstly, I think there is a rise in sophistication. I'm seeing um, across both the sales and marketing functions in the go-to-market a real increase in sophistication in tooling, in metrics, in maturity of process. Um, I'm also seeing a significant increase in cost. I think CAC is going up across the board in, in both segments. That's driven by salary increases, as well as more tooling, as well as uh, difficulty and competitiveness in the ad space. Um, but I do think there's, there's, there's one thing I would pull out 
that I think it's not just a case of becoming very sophisticated for multi-touch, multiple decision-maker committees like Andy's speaking about. I see a bifurcation of strategies there where there's also a massive rise in, in product-led growth in people actually making things incredibly simple to buy so that users can test it, uh, try it on a free or you know, maybe very small fee basis as a user. Um, and then later that can bubble up as something that becomes perhaps a bigger company and enterprise deal. So we're seeing this very clear difference of absolutely what Andy spoke about in terms of going into larger businesses. So we, you know, I'd split those up into makers and shakers. So you've got shakers who can make a strategic decision, can gather their buying committee, can you know command what the tool is going to be in which different place it's going to be in the stack. And then you need a very evolved, personalized, outbound, usually uh, buying pro selling process. And then you've got the opposite when you're selling into makers who often actually just want to get in and try it. And they want the zero friction. They want the ability to get in and test everything and validate it themselves. And then it can bubble up inside the organization. So I think that's a, a really interesting trend to see those two ends of the spectrum. Yeah, they're, they're almost two opposites, right? So, so on the marketing side, we've had this rise of account-based marketing, um, which almost forced sales and marketing to work together. You just can't do ABM without um, without that, and product-led growth almost is the other extreme, isn't it? In 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 one sense, um, do you think the, the the all this change that's happening is it making it easier for sales and marketing to come together? Is it forcing it to happen, or is it actually just the same? It's still difficult. It's still a challenge. What 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 are you guys seeing? Go for it, Andy. Uh, I, I am of the view that actually the organizations want at a very human level to work together, right? And, and actually, um, you know, I, I, before I came into sales tech, I spent many years in MarTech uh, where I was speaking to CMOs every single day. They were our primary buying persona. They're still a significant buying persona. So I still have some connectivity there, but I also talked to sales leaders like me and CROs. And so I think um, what I've seen, uh, and Andrew, you'll have greater experience, so I do defer to you, but broadly what I see is that CMOs have become uh, more focused over time of the last decade or so on driving revenue. Uh, you know, that full stack experience, right? It's not just about MQLs, it's also about how do they convert? They're very, very interested in how do they convert as they go through the sales funnel? What content is resonating? Uh, you know, there's the old joke in marketing, right? You speak to a CMO, you ask her or him uh, what, how much of their content is working. It's like, well, 50% works. I, I just don't know what 50% is working. Yeah. And we now live in a world, and Andrew touched on this, where there is a huge amount of technology. And there is a temptation for businesses to just bring another technology into play because it's just going to solve for this. Um, and, you know, I, the dirty little secret is that Yes, technology can help provide data, but you still need people and you still need processes to turn that data into insight. And it is through that insight that I believe that you can drive greater collaboration between the functions that we're talking about here. Because ultimately, the sales leaders and the sales people themselves want to drive revenue. And I say that's incredibly important for marketers too. So actually the dynamics, the end goal is the same. It's mm -hmm. just how do we get out of the way of ourselves of driving that collaboration? How can we look at the data to, that, that we 
share between the functions to take a common view? And how do we drive that alignment? Because ultimately, I think the goals are, are the same. Yeah. It's just sometimes there are different data and there are different perspectives. And that, in my experience, is where you start to see a bit of friction. And should sales and market, both sales and marketing be looking at that data and looking at the detail? Is that is that something both teams should look at or is it um, does it like, depend? I think it's really important to have a shared view. You know, what I'm, you know, in my mind, at least here, and, and Andrew, please chip in. Um, you know, I, I have a picture of a Venn diagram, a very simple two-circle Venn diagram. <clears throat> Sales and marketing, there's a big overlap. And, and what I'm saying is I believe there should be data that unites in the middle of the overlap. But I also appreciate that there is in additional data that sales may want to look at because it's more appropriate to that function in yep. the same way as there is additional uh, data that, that marketing want to look at that helps them drive their process. But un unless and until you, you have shared data in the middle, I think it becomes very difficult to align and to drive the coordination that I think the most successful companies drive. Yeah. 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 Andrew, do you have a take? Yeah, absolutely. So I, um, and it's interesting, Alex has just asked the question in the chat whether marketing should sit with sales or revenue leadership or as an independent function. Um, in that Venn diagram, let, let's, I can try and be specific from the marketing side of the house. There is a huge amount of overlap. Um, as, as Andy has said, you know, there is an increased focus on revenue, um, revenue marketing, the demand gen piece of it, making sure that owns a number and watches all the way through the pipe to, to um, have, a, have a seat at the table of what's actually closing and, and, and being won. Um, yeah. I think the, the bit that sits outside of that that's really important to protect and is why you know, my belief is that the, the marketing should be at that top table rather than reporting into sales is that the job of a CMO, my job, is to operate on two timeframes at all points. I have to be in this quarter. Today's the last day of the quarter. Riaz, I don't know how you managed to book this on the last day of the quarter. <laughs> Everybody should be sitting at their desks, making their last calls, chasing legal for contracts. You know, I'll certainly be running out the door to do, to, to do that with my team straight after this. Um, but, you know, the, and, and frankly, as a marketer, you know, I, I've been in those situations as well of just not understanding sales is cadence, right? But as a revenue marketer, you've got to know what's going on. You've got to know that pace. You've got to be in quarter, next quarter. The second time frame is a one year out, two year out time frame, um, which in most organizations I've been in that have been largely sales led has often been missing and often carried by the CEO. And so the other half of the marketing job is to look out a year, two years out. How are we creating the bigger TAM? positioning the brand to enable us to fish in a much bigger pool to hit much bigger targets a year out two years out um, and if we overly bias on next quarter we might hit this 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 quarter or next quarter but we're going to yeah. fail to see the massive market opportunity and for me that's the other bit of the venn diagram that my team will be always focused on and my and half of my brain will have to be in so i think there's that time frame thing is one of the ways i look at it in terms of kind of that marketing is subservient to sales some marketers have a real bit of angst about that. Genuinely, I couldn't care less. Like for me, I tell my team, marketing, our biggest client is sales. Like if we yeah. fail at that relationship, then everything fails. I don't care how good our two-year out strategy is. The first job is making sure sales are successful because that's how we earn our right to go in and think about the things that are happening beyond the horizon. Um, so yeah, I, I, I very much want my team to understand sales vocabulary. If we're constantly talking in these this macro term about stuff rather than specific deals and accounts and and pipeline, then we're failing in our in our responsibility there. So vocabulary is important. Insight you mentioned, Andy. I think that's super important as well. Like if marketing can't bring to the table 
new information that sales don't know about their accounts, then again, like marketing's not being helpful in that regard. And I've often been in that situation where sales have always got better insight because they're the person in the deal. But with tools like Gong and other, other analytics, you know, marketing should be just up to speed with every one of those deals, understanding the nuances of those conversations um, and bringing to the table new insight for sales to help them close better faster. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a few nuances I've put on it. And then Rios, if I could build on that, you know, one thing. Yeah. So, so I, I don't think the one defers to the other. And I think that's probably where we might be landing um, as, as, as a team, right? They are two sides of the same coin. Uh, and I think they are peers at the table. And when they collaborate, and, and, and there needs to be some friction between the two. I think there's a healthy level of friction to be had here. Uh, but they are absolutely peers. And, and when I've seen those relationship works, both of the organization bring insight, bring feedback, you know, and from a sales perspective, if we just look at content as one example, yeah, the marketing function, whether that sits with product marketing specifically or elsewhere, has a responsibility to deliver up meaningful content that supports our strategy and then promotes our value proposition, right? It helps people understand what can we do to help them? Why, why should they buy, buy our particular product or services? The sales function, when the marketers produce that, have a deep responsibility back to use that content as it has been intended with the specified audience or audiences without manipulation, right? Because of course, once you start to then uh, change slides the deck the content itself you risk going away from a very carefully crafted message and so you know we have a duty of care as salespeople to use the content even if it's new content to go through that change process ourselves and then serve back to the marketing team the insight the data that helps them evolve that over time so that the that you know, there's nothing more frustrating, I would imagine, as a product marketer than spending hours and hours and hours pulling together a really carefully crafted piece of work, only then to hand, then have sales reps take two thirds of it and then add their own spin on the rest of it. Yeah, yeah. And did you ever take on that? I mean, I, I um, speaking with with um, companies on this topic, um, I see that point that you made at the end there actually happening quite a lot where where content will be created or something will happen it goes into the ether um, it gets put onto the slack channel onto boards and, and emailed but it never gets read and doesn't get looked at and um you know you that that obviously starts to diverge that you know that alignment um what what have you seen and have you have you seen that happen and how have you got over yeah, I mean, this is a topic we could sit on for a while because I think it's one of the biggest issues in sales marketing alignment. Uh, I know Andy will have lots of perspectives on it. Um, yes. I, you know, I've been in a situation many, many times where this weekly sales meeting, and I'm of course not talking about Paddle, which is perfect alignment, but perhaps in some prior organizations, um, uh, where the weekly sales meeting will, the, the, the narrative will be, the question will be, we've no idea what's going on in marketing, we've no idea what content you're creating, why don't you talk to us more? 
and the marketing team will be like, well, we told you on Slack, we uploaded it to the central Google Drive, we're updating every WSM with a list of links. And there's there's just very clearly a kind of a disconnect in how people are receiving that information and giving that information. Right? So that's, a, that's a, a, a bit of bridge building that needs to happen on both sides. And you know, as Andy said, it's not just a tech solution, it's a process and a ways of working solution. For me, one of the biggest ways of doing that and one of the quick wins I always try and put in in an organization is to find out what sales need right now and go and do it pretty quickly. Because if they're involved in the ideation and the creation of something that they need in a sales process, they're sure as hell are going to use it if you can turn it around for them in a few days or a week. And so for yeah. me, one of the, far, the quickest ways of, of bridging that is to make sure you, you get them involved in that process. And then secondly, is to make sure you can actually you, you, you generate something that's genuinely useful and has insight at its core. I think often that content, you know, when, when you're churning through a marketing content machine, so much of it just ends up being yet another blog post that you could choose to send to your prospects. Um, and certainly, you know, the, the best reps I've worked with, they don't just send yet another blog post to their prospects. They want something very nuanced, very specific, and that addresses a pain point and a challenge that they're seeing. So I, I you know, absolutely think that this is one of those bridges to build, but weaving in sales and interviewing sales and getting insight from Gong and from analytics into that content creation is a really key way of doing it. And you know, there's some there's some great comments in the chat here. Right? I, I see Skip yeah. pop up with his lovely, love your work, Skip. Um, you know, I, I think he, he raised a lovely uh, um, Ogilvy quote there, which was talking about that aggression of needing to sell or else. And I'll, I'll raise you with, a, with another Ogilvy quote, which is, in this regard, I think, coming back to the vocabulary point, uh, I, th I think the quote is that you should not count the people you reach, but you should reach the people you count. Um, and for me, that's one of those things, that one of those um, vocabulary and focus things that marketing needs to increasingly adopt. It's not to talk about, wow, we've got 200 webinar attendees. You know, Riaz, you've got four and a half thousand people listening to our nice LinkedIn Live. It's about whether <laughs> people who are going to buy your services or be in your community are the right people on this call. Um, so Absolutely. I think that's one of those nuances. Yeah, I know completely. And actually, going sort of reiterating your point about speed there i think um it, it sort of ties almost back to your point about um two different um time frames for, for marketing right that longer term and that shorter term that short term is all about speed right if it takes you two weeks to create something that's been requested by sales it's gone um you, you've got to be able to react to to sales um requirements um and in that time. regard, it requires capacity planning, right? Because most organizations in marketing, they're running on a three-month production cycle with capacity constraints. And so yeah. I, I always want to make sure there's that 70-30, where we've got planned for 70% of our time, but we are specifically managing a 30% or 20% bench of time within the week, within the month, to be yes. able to respond to that, to be helpful. Yeah, there's there's, there's so much around, around all of this. Um, one of the um, comments is around um, whether marketing should sit under CRO. Do you have a, I think there's a huge debate around CROs. I, I have sat and debated it many times and, and have gone from really being quite pro the idea um, to actually really thinking in almost all scenarios, it's a bad idea. Um, um, do you have a perspective? And then I can, I'll, I'll give you why I think that's the case. I think, it'd be I think it would be absolutely bonkers. Yeah. Why is that? Look, it's really simple. Um, uh, just like selling, marketing is a very deep and complex subject. Um, and uh, you, you, one, of the, one of the things that, that um, is a principle, I guess, in, in terms of one of the things I've learned over time around leadership, right, is that yeah. actually the reporting line really shouldn't make a difference. 
what matters is the alignment and the conversations between the organizations and, and that comes down to the people not the reporting line so i think that that's um you know if, if people are worried about their reporting line i would encourage them to put their energy into the conversation and and, and let the reporting line take care of itself right it's the day-to-day -day conversations that matters not the annual review per se and if you look after the day-to-day -day conversations you'll deliver the results to get a great annual review. So focus on the day-to-day -day stuff. And there's some wonderful comments coming through here. Uh, and, and, you know, if, if we want to go into the idea of how can sales bring back insight and data into the, the marketing function, which a lot of people are commenting on, I'm, I'm happy to do so. But that, yeah. does not reply, uh, that does not rely on the reporting line in any way, shape or form. Andrew? I guess the, um, so I'd agree. I think the, um, the the place where I have seen it work is when you've got, uh, in a growth stage business, when you've got a very product focused founder. And so the CEO is very product focused and therefore that partner needs to take the rest of the shop. Um, but, you know, I think that is, that is one example where it can work, but yeah, we completely agree with Andy. I think it's a, it's, it's a function in its own as you scale, um, and needs, and needs that specialism. Yeah. My, my, my take is, is, is very, very similar. My, my view is that over time with the COO, Basically, at the end of the day, sales is a requirement, right? You, you can, if you don't meet your number at the end of every quarter, it's a problem for the company. And and so that conversation is going to dominate leadership conversations with, with the CEO. And, and if that's the case, then marketing is not getting enough airtime at the table. So whilst that may be fine in the very short term, over time, the lack of that, you know, longer term viewpoint, um, means that the company gets diminished is is my sort of take on it um i want to just shift slightly to sales development specifically within this because um there's been a lot of talk about how the sales development role has become much more complex um much more around multi-channel much more about nurturing um and where does that sit in this conversation between sales and marketing um andy given what you just said i suspect i i guess what you're going to say but but you know what what is your take on sales development um and how should it where should it sit in explicit terms should it sit under sales should it sit under marketing um, um does it matter i've seen both uh, i've seen both work and i've seen both fail. um for high spot um our SDR function, we call them ADRs, but it's the same thing, thing sits yep. under me. Um, and that therefore is within the sales function. Um, but look, you know, a little bit like a relay race, uh, it's the passing of the baton at, at each stage that, that I think is the thing to focus on here rather than the reporting line. Yes, I'm like a broken record on this. I make no apology for that. Um, and what I'm focused on is making sure that there is an effective handoff between MQLs and how we manage and lead those MQLs. Not all MQLs um, are created equal, uh, much though some people may have a view that they should be. I would argue that some are more valuable than others, and it is appropriate and proper that we treat them that way. Um, Andrew talked before about movers uh, versus shakers. And I think that's a really interesting concept as I reflect on um, the challenger cell and, and it's something I looked at many, many years ago. They talk about mobilizers. Yeah. Uh, those are people that can 
really get an organization to change, to embrace change. They drive things through. And so I think, you know, there are, there are concepts around that. But, you know, the, the, the role of that SDR function is, is critical. They are the ones that translate all the fantastic, a lot of the demand generation work that, that marketing does. And they're the ones that then create those conversations and drive those conversations forward. And yeah. when that is done well, that is done at a very human and personal level. And of course, that is becoming increasingly difficult. Um, and, and, you know, arguably some technologies actually promote less of a human touch or at least make that possible than, uh, than others. But I think, you know, look, it's the interface between sales and marketing. Uh, it's how they, uh, yeah. they take that demand and how they make it personal and human. Andrew? Um, in terms of where the function sits, I, you know, I think it can sit in multiple places and there are good, good reasons for sales and marketing. I love it in marketing. I've always had it in marketing organizations I've been in. And the reason for that is I want my marketing team to know that quarterly cycle and to know the output of that. Yeah. Um, my fear is when, say, when SDR or BDR sits into the sales side of the house, um, that baton is passed over too early for there to be real visibility, pressure, angst uh, on the marketing function. And I think that's a necessary part of that two timeframes. Um, so right now, my whole marketing team knows it's end of quarter. Um, they're leaning in on trying to make sure what we can do to, to open every possible op before we get to the end of end of today um, so that we can hit our quarterly number. And so I, I love it being in marketing for that reason, because it gives a, a revenue focus to the organization. But I think these, these in-between parts of the org uh, are, are the high leverage pieces. Um, and yeah. so SDR, BDR, we won between sales and marketing. Obviously, we have the solutions engineers, the pre-sale engineers, which is super important. Um, the other one, which is often not talked about, and um, Komal and Skip have been commenting about this in the chat, is, is then that marketing supports the whole customer lifecycle. So you've got this, this upsell, cross-sell piece that happens afterwards. And you know, certainly something that, that we're investing in here and that I think is, a, is one of those growth parts of the organization is customer marketing. How are you informing? How are you liaising? How are you getting testimonial and reference out of your customers? How are you leading them on a path to use more and, and, and a greater spread of your product set over time? Um, and I think that's an incredibly high leverage piece of marketing, which sits right between customer success or account management and marketing. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, what about, so depend, doesn't, doesn't matter where sales development sits, but what about attribution? Right, so so you're there's opening, always arguments. You're opening right? that can of worms. Who 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 owns that, How long have we got? that win? <laughs> uh, so so maybe Andrew, look, maybe you could lead us off on that. But I I, <laughs> I would like to talk specifically about content and how we track content that helps with that. But Andrew, okay. look, you're you're the real expert here. So let let's defer to you. Hey, I'm I'm a. I and I think almost everybody globally is a, is, a, is a learner, is a student in that topic rather than an expert. I think um, attribution is one of those billion dollar problems that's yet to be solved. I think there's some interesting attacks on it right now. Um, fundamentally, my view is that we will never have a perfect view of attribution and therefore pretending we do can be incredibly destructive to your resource allocation. Um, and so my, you know, one of the things we've done as soon as I came in the door here was talk with the team about how we think about attribution and sourcing. 
Um, we've done something really simple. We added a, where do you hear about us? Open text fields onto the form. Yeah. And it gets piped in via HubSpot into our Slack channel. And you know, 20, 30, 40 times a day, we will see a ping come up with someone say, Google, a podcast. Someone told me, you know, I worked at a company that used Paddle. Um, and then we take that on a weekly or monthly basis, put it in a pie chart, roughly manually, you know, aggregate those open text responses. And for me, that is more valuable than any attribution reporting I'm getting out of my systems. Um, and I know it's not perfect. I know it's what they remember. I know it might be there might be memory failure. I know there's lots of ASDF, ASDF, or you know, NA, or all that kind of stuff in there. Um, but of the people, you know, there's a lot of chat in the marketing world, B2B marketing world, about dark social and about how you need to ungate your assets and, and, and use this type of approach. But um, of, of those I know who have done it, and we're seeing a pretty similar thing here, you'll often have between a 30 to 50% variance in your actual attribution through your MA, your marketing information stack, versus people just telling you where they came from. And when I spoke about being destructive to your resource allocation, you will always underinvest in things that drive conversations offline in WhatsApp groups um, that don't have direct tracking like podcasts and other you know, videos on open social networks. Um, and I think those are a critical piece of raising awareness um, and, and a positioning. And so you know, for me, I want to amp up those investments. And even if that tracking is loose and manual, I'm really happy with that. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's interesting to see the, um, the pendulum swing back uh, and it's good to see, I think, because because I think the pendulum had gone too far the other way in terms of laser focus on the data that is being fed back into, um, um, you know, conversions and the like. And and in reality, we don't have perfect pictures. Um, um, and obviously, um, you know, that dark social bit is something we very much focus on here. Andy, you had a content angle on this. Yeah. So so look. Um very rarely in life is anything perfect. Uh, and so I do think good enough. The other thing I would add to what Andrew said is I, I'm also really interested in trends over time because as well as the empirical data week on week, I think sometimes stepping back and looking at how is that trending, it can help inform us of a date, uh, you know, a direction of travel that can help us get ahead of that or spot opportunities earlier. So you know, as people think about that, I, I'd encourage them to look at the, the absolute data as well as the trends in the data yeah. over time. Um, yeah, such true. a simple thing just to just to flip your perception there. Yeah. I do want to come back to content because, again, I think this is a real opportunity to drive that greater alignment. Uh, and, you know, there have been a number of comments there in terms of, of the responsibility that sales has to feed back to marketing. And I couldn't agree to that more. There's also been comments about brand. And how does brand fit into this? And I think, you know, developing your brand voice and, and having that consistency is super important. And content is part of landing that brand. And that's why I mentioned earlier about I get quite nervous when salespeople have to start to create Frankendex, right? You know, you know those Frankensteins of a little bit of this, a little bit of, of, of that. And we've all seen it in the past because it starts to dilute the brand and starts to, to dilute that voice. But when I come back to the content specifically, I think it's really important to start to look at how can you track content, not just to understand what content is resonating with your customers and where are they getting that content. And, and so you can start to drive that attribution to understand where you're putting your spend. But there's a stage before that. And this, again, is something that, that can be fixed relatively easily. And that's to understand 
what content are your sales teams using, whether that's your field sales teams or your SDR team, what content are they adopting? Which content are they choosing not to adopt? Yeah. And how do you then take that back into your leadership function to get your first line leaders to coach your people around that? Because, you know, there's, there's, there's great content there, but of course, you've got to have the people that get that content into the hands of the customer. And then when we do that, we can measure to see what is effective. And data is a really great way of being able to do that, tracking that all the way through the customer funnel, understanding what, what are the touch points, what are the buying personas, what are the industries where different content is, uh, is resonating in different way and ultimately having the impact on revenue. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things we've looked at um, more specifically um, with some of our clients has been the companies um, as they as they move through the pipeline, which pages on your your website become more important. Um, and actually, it's often quite um, insightful pages that you don't see much traffic to, but actually, they are the ones that get looked at further down the funnel when um, um, when real decisions are being made, sort of thing. So. Um, so really useful. Um, Carolina um, asked a question around why should we find out whose attribution it is in the first place? Is it is it actually something we should be doing? Um, Andy, do you want to? Uh, uh, so I think we should try and get as much information as we can. Like whilst knowing we are going to be in a data poor environment, so assuming that we've got all the information is is, is a fallacy. But we should absolutely get what we can. I think. My way of looking at this is about a it's about a leadership relationship. So one of the things that one of the reasons I joined Paddle and one of the one of the things I, I find really fulfilling about working here is when I'm talking with Adam, our head of sales, SVP of sales about, about attribution, it is a both of us on the same side of the table looking at a screen to inform how we are going to get better. Um, I have been in organizations in the past where it is something that you 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 use in a boardroom to complain and get more resources or say that the other person's team is not doing well enough. Yeah. Um, and so for me, it's about that relationship of, are we looking at this together to work out what we can do to get better? And if it's in that scenario, then I'm super happy. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Andy? Um, I think, look, one of the things we need to do in business is, is to be good customers custodians of, of the company's money and resources, right? We want to be great leaders for our people. And, and, and part of that is creating meaningful work for them. And so unless we are prepared to look at things like attribution, unless we are prepared to explore, um, uh, you know, ideas around what is working, what is not working and how we can evolve it, I think it's really difficult to, to achieve that, um, that, 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 that business custodian and create that meaningful work for our people. So I do think it's important to work. And I, I see, come on, but, you know, the ROI of a dog. Well, I have a dog. I have a Hungarian bracelet. And, you know, I joy, happiness. Does it make sense? Does it not? Yeah, look, I get the point. But I think it is important to look at these things because, um, yes, it's not going to be perfect. But if you can pick up on the trends, you can make a, a meaningful difference. And you can stay ahead of your competition. And I think it's only by looking at areas and exploring um, things that may not be perfect can we continue to evolve. So I do think it's important to look at it. I do think it's important, as Andrew says, to do that collaboratively on the same time uh, side of the, t of the table. And it's okay if things aren't perfect, right? You know, 
I could not go out today and run a marathon, but I could go out and run 3K, 4K, 5K. And the point is I can evolve that over time. I don't have to start with perfection itself. And, you know, there's, there's a very famous quote from George Patton around that, which, you know, uh, many people will know, right? You don't have to have a perfectly executed plan to get on with it. You're better off just doing something today. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it's it's not, I think both of you have, have sort of alluded to this, is it's, it's not about it's sales win or it's marketing's win. It's more often more nuanced and, and um, it's about that collaboration between the two. And, and as you say, just building a, a picture, no matter how cloudy. Um, sort of leading on from that is the wonderful world of metrics and um, measuring um, um, success. And, and I can see Alex has put a question in around that. What, what should we be measuring um, in order to encourage performance? Um, should, um, should, we, should mean go full conversations or strength of relationship be considered as KPIs today? Um, Andrew, start with you. <laughs> <laughs> so, again, I think they're in this bifurcation of strategy, you've got different metrics, right? Um, yeah. And even in a largely outbound world, I'm increasingly seeing and have helped a few businesses put in place um, a double funnel where you've got standard demand generation tactics um, that are mm -hmm. creating leads. And then you've got more outbound nuanced account-based marketing efforts that are creating qualified accounts. And how do you track switch between the two? Because actually there is a different way of measuring um, velocity and a different way of measuring conversion likelihood in both of them. Um, you know, once you cluster a bunch of MQLs in a single account and that account starts to look qualified, that's got a much higher chance of close than just having 10 different MQLs from 10 different companies. Um, so I, I think it really depends on your, your go-to-market motion. If you're directly outbound, if you're doing demand gen and ABM and you've got a double funnel, or if you've got this PLG motion as well, which is really about making sure you've got an incredibly um, you know, frictionless, high conversion kind of account experience. And then you've got the ability to bubble up sales intelligence so that those clusters of in information that the kind of the PQL, the product qualification, PQL product qualified leads, um, you know, if you can see them in accounts, you want to go and leverage sales resource after then you've got something to go and do um, but yeah but really simply I want I want marketing to really carry two numbers I wanted to carry a pipeline number um, so the open opportunities times the dollar value uh, and then I also wanted to have something where it is looking at that brand that future that future um, that kind of view of positioning and, and awareness and uh, to bet she asked that earlier on in the conversation you know where does brand fit in here and I think brand shows up as being extremely valuable to sales when it means awareness and credibility when you get on the call or get into a meeting and they've heard of you before uh, and they generally know where you're positioned and they see you as a credible provider, a sales job becomes 80% easier. Uh, and so how can we make sure we're measuring the early signs um, of, of that brand progress? So those would be the two things I'd want to be measuring in, in the marketing function. Yeah, agreed. We had, a, we had a client who launched into the UK and um, had no, um, no coverage whatsoever. We were the only... Um, platform delivering advertising at companies specifically and you know two months in the sales teams turning around to us and saying suddenly we're seeing a complete turnaround right the conversation has gone from don't want to talk to you to um oh yeah i've heard of you i i, I you know you do x y and z and they're parroting back exactly what was in the advertising um 
Um, it does. It can make a huge difference. But as you said earlier, it, it's that sort of balance between you've got to get the short term working first, otherwise nobody cares um, in reality. Andy, do you have a take on metrics? I do actually, and, and, and Andrew bifurcated buyers earlier into movers and shakers. I, I'd maybe love to take that concept and apply it to uh, to, to, to metrics. Uh, and it's a very simple con uh, concept. It's like you have uh, trailing metrics and you have leading metrics, right? So yeah. leading indicators and trailing indicators. So what do I mean by this? Well, I, I've talked consistently throughout this about content and just the importance that, that I place on that as a sales leader. I yep. want to know that every single one of my ADRs and salespeople understands what to know, sh say, show, and do in a given selling situation. So when they're talking to a, a CFO in the manufacturing industry, what are the things on her or his mind? What do they care about? Yep. What are some of the... Um, uh, successful conversations we've had with people like that. And I want my salespeople to understand all of that before they go into the conversation. And so one of the leading indicators I look at, because at Highspot, we, 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 make, we try and make it really simple for our sellers, right? We have a series of what we call sales plays. They're blueprints, they're recipes. They're built on what we know has worked, because guess what? We analyze what we do. We yeah. analyze the content we use, the conversations we had. Andrew talked about Gong and, and other technologies like that can, that can help surface that insight. So we can provide it, um, that recipe to somebody. It's a little bit like baking a loaf of bread, right? And there are 4,000-odd people on this, uh, on this live broadcast. You know, we could put all 4,000 into 4,000 kitchens and say, hey, just go make a loaf of bread. And I bet some people would make a cracking loaf of bread because they've done it before. But there's a whole bunch of people in the middle that might be great cooks, but maybe they don't know quite what the ingredients are to use in a sourdough versus a focaccia. And maybe they don't know quite how to combine them or, or the importance of you know, certain temperatures, certain proving times. It's the same in sales, right? And if we can give people the right ingredients and the right recipes, then guess what? The likelihood of, of a good outcome, a good conversation, a good loaf of bread, is much, much, much improved. And so one of the leading indicators I look at is how are my salespeople and my ADRs adopting the sales plays that we have built for them? Yeah. And then how are my people, my leaders, coaching them on that in the moment? And that's a great example of a leading indicator because I know that if I invest there, the conversations are going to be great. And when wonderful people like Andrew bring informed buyers to that to that environment we can ensure that that buyer has the best possible experience and hopefully you know nine times out of ten that that um means they end up working with us in the long term yeah completely completely i think i think the um it's a really good analogy um analogy. i think i think it, it it really illustrates the the challenge that actually often um the people on the ground that actually have to go and have those conversations, you think you've communicated what they need to talk about, but actually um, you've missed a lot of steps and it makes a, a huge difference, doesn't it? Yeah, and there's only one place to look. When, 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 when your salespeople are not landing those conversations as you would wish to, when they're not being consistent with your brand message, your value propositions, 
when they're not maybe utilizing the most effective content. There's only one place to look, and that's in the mirror. You know, yeah. We, we, we spend a lot of time as leaders thinking very deeply about our strategies. But, but so often we underestimate just how much effort we need to do to then convey that to our people in really understandable chunks and yeah. how we need to reinforce that over time. It's a little bit like training, right? Tra training when done well, and this is the difference between training and enablement. You know, training typically is disruptive. We take people out of the field, we put them in a classroom, and then guess what? Afterwards, you know, we might do a little bit of reinforcement. We not, we might not. Uh, and it's the same, you know, enablement is about landing concepts with people and then consistently reinforcing that over time. And I feel yeah. very strongly that, that the same is true to strategy. We need to reinforce that over time and, and, and track it. And when it's going slightly off, we need to understand why is that? And, and part of that is being very, very honest with ourselves and looking in the mirror. Yeah, completely. I think I think the um, you, you've broadened it there to, to, to strategy. And, and actually, I think that plays a part in, in sales and marketing. I mean, I mean the content itself is a, is a classic example of sales and marketing working really well together and, and, it, and it being ingrained in the culture of the business. The, the reality, of course, is that the culture of the business is not just defined by the sales and marketing leads. It's, um, it's, it's created more widely. The CEO obviously has a big part to play here. Um, I think we've all been in businesses where the CEO um, has had very strong viewpoints one way or the other, um, to the detriment often of the other. What, what's been your experience and, and, and how, how can the CEO help um, the situation? Andrew, to start with this time. How can the CEO help the the, the sales and marketing teams come together better? Wow. Um, can oh. they? Is, is it not their job to do that? And 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 am I putting work on this poor CEO? Um, I, I guess my my question and sigh is is I think it's a really easy excuse. Um, so absolutely, the best CEOs will make this easy and we'll lean yeah. in um the best ceos are able to balance that two time frame thing i mentioned in terms of knowing the rigor of when to dive into a deal and help whilst also helping the marketing function see that story in the future um and and you know i, I think marketing's most effective mouthpiece is the ceo often uh and making sure that they are visible and they are out there um but yeah i think i think it's an excuse to uh to, to blame the ceo when you've got you know, if, you, if you've got a, a reasonably experienced marketing leader and a reasonably experienced sales leader, um, you know, you just got to get on with it. Yeah, yeah. Skip says, get out, get, get out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> that made me laugh, but it's so true, right? Yeah. Frankly, if, if you have a senior leader in sales and a senior leader in marketing, they can't figure it out. Uh, you, you, you know, you, you, you probably already lost the plot at that point. You, you might look to other methods, right? I don't know that the, you know, the CEOs necessarily needs to step in. It's, it's the same at every level in an organization, right? If, if you're not getting what you want, if you don't feel you have an effective relationship with, with, with somebody in your business, go and talk to them about it. Don't defer to somebody higher up. Um, they're in, you know, that undermines your own credibility and success and it, and, and it, 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 
passes off the problem to somebody else. So uh, yeah, Skip, I couldn't agree with you more. But then as leaders also, we create the environments to have open, honest conversations that are respectful, that are informed by data. Uh, and we also need to create a, a safe space, not only where everybody has a voice, but it's also accepted that um, you know there should be a good variety of perceptions and different views. It's okay to disagree on something that actually is really, really healthy. And that comes from having put people with diverse KPIs, diverse backgrounds, and, and, and having that rich, rich conversation. So you've, you've kind of got to get comfortable with being a little bit uncomfortable, right? And so the CEO can play a part yeah. in creating that macro culture, but ultimately it comes down to individuals at all levels to have that respectful inter in interaction with each other. Yeah, it's too easy to shy away from those conversations and, and, and not having them creates more problems, as you're saying. We've got seven minutes left on the scheduled um, time frame for today. Um, so if you've got any further questions, do ask. There's been a couple that sort of built around the content topic um, earlier on around, um, I'm pretty sure it was Carolina. I've lost it now. Oh, there it is. Yeah. So is it a manager's mistake that the salespeople didn't receive a good sales enablement at the beginning of the onboarding? I, I, I can't talk um, in strong enough terms around the importance of setting people up for success. Um, look, as an organization, in, in, in any organization for any role, we get one chance. We never get a second chance to make a first impression. Uh, sorry. You never get a second chance to make that first impression. And, and, and that is so true when you bring new people into an organization. And, and Carolina's question is, is specific to salespeople. I would widen it beyond that. And, and yeah. setting people up, deliberately setting people up at the start to give them that recipe so that they can make the loaf of bread. I, I can't emphasize enough based on that I'm one person with about 25 years or so of experience of leadership doesn't mean I'm better. It just means I've you know, had a, a few trips around the sun. But I, I, I know that if I talk, talk to my earlier self 25 years ago when I was just stepping into leadership, it's all about the people. It's all about setting them up for success, both at the start but an ongoing basis. And one of the metrics we have at, at high spot that I'm really passionate about is, is we look as leaders to invest 20% of our week to coaching our people. Right. And, and, and as I said, that's not pipeline inspection. That's not forecasting. That's actually talking to them about the skills uh, and the areas where they are looking to grow and improve and helping give them tools and, and frameworks and resources to go and do that. Um, so, yes, getting people set up from the start, especially in today's talent world, makes a massive difference. And if you give them the recipe, um, data would suggest, and this is a tech validate study across B2B companies about salespeople and quota attainment and ramp time. If you give them that recipe, that sales play, you reduce ramp time by 24% and you increase the number of salespeople hitting quota by 19%. And if you just stop and think about those numbers for a minute, yeah. you reduce ramp time by one quarter and you get one fifth more of your salespeople hitting quota. It's massive. Yeah, it's huge. That's huge. 
Andrew, do you have a perspective here? I mean, I mean, I think onboarding of marketing is is also critical in terms of bringing them into sales early. Um, do you have a perspective? Um, would concur, and you know, Skip's mentioned as well in, in the chat that this is a uh, is also harder with remote working. Uh, absolutely, um, I in the extremely you know hot talent market right now. Um, it becomes even more important because people can leave in two months if they feel like it because there's another job on the way. Um, and so I think onboarding is actually a critical piece of that first bit of retention, let alone making sure you set people up to success to do their job. Yeah. Um, in terms of tactics on that, you know, we're certainly building it out right now. We've got a whole bunch of people coming into the marketing team over the next couple of months, including a few senior hires. And um, it's something that we're talking about internally. Um, on my onboarding, when I came in, you know, there, there were a whole bunch of things that I read and did but I've mentioned it already once here, but for me as a marketer, digging into Gong was one of the most valuable things I did. So going and being able to listen to the, you know, the actual call where decisions were made or the actual call where objections were handled or the actual call where competitors were discussed. Um, having that is a way which, if we roll back five years, marketers never had that access. Mm -hmm. Um, and I remember as a CMO uh, Idio, the, the company we founded, I would every few quarters would say to my whole sales team, I just want to learn. Please add me as a, a BCC onto some emails and please add me as a silent partner onto some sales calls. I promise I won't say a word. I won't butt in. I'll be on video. I'll be that person in the corner, but I just want to hear what's going on. And now we do that at scale with search functionality across our entire org. And, you know, if there are marketers out there who have tools like that that aren't using them on a weekly basis, for me, that's a massive miss, whether in that onboarding process or actually in ongoing education. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Got a couple of minutes. Um, what I want to do is any final thoughts from either of the two of you before I then jump to getting feedback from everybody? Um, Andy? We've had a pretty wide-ranging conversation, and, and I've certainly enjoyed hearing from from Andrew. You know, I think where I'm landing is um, is that uh, the reporting lines make less of a difference. Uh, what we're hearing, I think, is that the collaboration, the cooperation, um, is super important. The perhaps one route to that is looking at the data and the insight, and, and agreeing where we have shared and common metrics that we should review, not just for the data, but also the trends over time, but also understand that, that we bring uh, diverse perspectives to that, uh, to the conversation and embracing those perspectives. And I think if we, if we do some of those things and we continue to require ourselves to be data-driven, to, to take that data, to be open to change, to be open to, to uh, bringing back you know, candid feedback, then I think it's that 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 um, therein lies the success, right? Is yeah. that collaboration and cooperation? Agreed. Agreed. Andrew, um, I would just come back to that very beginning kind of opening few thoughts we had and say that I mean, there's a huge amount of of, of useful tips in here. Um, I think it's been really good to hear from Andy's side of the table. I think um, I would go back right off the top and say that this is becoming more sophisticated as we go forwards, um, and therefore, you know, I predict 
that in a year's time, this webinar or this LinkedIn Live won't just be on the end of sales and marketing alignment, it will be the end of marketing and product alignment and the end of sales and product alignment. You know, <laughs> I, was, I was scrabbling around to make sure I could find my PLG app <laughs> finished, you see. You know, those alignments are gonna become utterly critical to the, yeah. the revenue growth of organizations. Um, and so, yeah, that would be something I'd, I'd make sure everyone's thinking about. It's not just about fixing that relationship. There's actually a bunch of other relationships that are utterly critical. Really well said. Thank you both for your time today. Before everybody jumps off, um, what I want to do is um, get everybody, if you look in your emails, you should have seen it. There's been comments through the chat um, for the survey. Do fill that out. Um, and I am going to share my screen um, somewhere. There we go. Um, I don't know how many people are on there at the moment. So if I can get you to complete the survey, um, and hopefully this should fill the thermometer up. Um, and um, what we'll do, as I said before, is make a donation for everyone who completes it um, to Magic Breakfast, um, which helps um, kids who are not able to have um, breakfast because they, they they don't have access to it um, so that when they go to school that they are able to concentrate and actually get through the day without feeling hungry so please do complete the survey um, and hopefully we can see it fill up maybe not This, I feel, Riaz, is maybe a test of uh, typing skills for us all, right? Yes, I suspect so, actually. And actually, um, is it worth getting the link back into the chat so that everybody can see it? Um, if you don't have that, if you can't find it in the comments. There we go. Oh, in. Um, I think Sahana's about to paste it in again for everybody. It should only take about 60 seconds. Maybe hit refresh on that, Riaz. Not sure that worked. Well, I think what we'll do, I'm not sure if that's working. So what we'll do is we will come back to it and I will work out what went wrong there. Um, but I will get an email out to all the um, attendees again afterwards. So if you could fill that out, that'd be wonderful. Um, thank you both again for your time today. I thought it's been a really, really interesting conversation. Um, so thank you. and. Uh, I shall speak to you soon, no doubt. Thanks, Riaz. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, everybody, for joining. Take care. Bye.